Hey, I've got a message this morning that I have entitled, Can You Dig It? Yes, we can. Oh, that's good. Now, I was just thinking this morning when I was thinking about the title of the message, is that, where does that come from? Well, yeah, yeah, well, because I was thinking Bob the Builder, like, can he fix it? Yes, he can. But I'm sure there's a can you dig it? It sounds like the 70s are right. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, maybe that's, maybe we'll go with Bob the Builder. Can he fix it? All right. So can you dig it? Yes. Very good. I believe you. Uh, <laughs> very cool. You know, um, I actually want to talk this morning or preach this morning out of a story that's found in Genesis chapter 26, and it tells the tale of Isaac having to redig the wells of his father Abraham because uh, I don't know there'd been a whole bunch of stuff surrounding that. The wells had been uh, covered in or, or filled up again by uh, the, the Philistines, and uh, Isaac had to, there's a whole bunch of context around that that I want to speak into a little bit this morning, hence the title, Can You Dig It? You know, uh, one of the enduring memories for me uh, as, as a kid growing up, especially around the uh, Christmas, New Year's period, was that we would go every year for, for, for a period of time uh, camping with mum and dad and a whole bunch of other families uh, that were all friends together. And uh, it was just a, a great place. We had a, a spot that we would always go to by the upper reaches of the Matara River, which is a famous river for, for fishing. Uh, there was rabbits running around. It's kind of where, it was just a great adventure playground for kids. It's where we, Dad taught us to, to hunt small critters and uh, fish and catch eels and there was wild gooseberry bushes and just, like the kids just ran around and did kind of whatever we wanted, which was really, really cool. But part of setting up the camp every year was that someone would have to dig the long drop, right? Like, and it was never my task because I was only knee-high to a grasshopper and the ground that we dug in was full of rocks. So it would always fall to, for our family, it would always fall to dad to dig the hole for the latrine. And I used to find it interesting, I think, well, you just need a, a, a spade or a shovel to dig a hole, right? But every year he would have to take the shovel and the pickaxe, right? Because it was difficult ground to dig in. And one particular year, we, there, there, was a, there was a younger uh, guy than me at, at the camp every year, because he could never catch up. You, just, you know, understand how that works. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, so, but he was always really curious whenever someone was digging a hole. He just had this infatuation about people digging holes. As, and, and we'll call him Hamish this morning because that was his actual name. It's just easier, easier to remember. Uh, so Hamish would come. And, and this particular year, my dad had obviously put some forethought into digging the latrine hole for the camp. Well, for our family anyway. And because uh, normally what would happen would be he'd start digging and then he'd get the pickaxe and he'd dig some more and then he'd get the pick and he'd dig some more and then he'd put up the walls around the hole so that there was some privacy. But this particular year, he set the walls up first before he started to dig the hole, which made it obviously a whole lot more difficult for him. But when the young boy Hamish would come along and say, hey, uh, Mr. Chinpoy, what are you doing? Uh, I'm digging a hole. <laughs> How deep is the hole? Mr. Chinpoy, I'm digging all the way to China, he said this year. It's like, Hamish was like, no, you're not. My dad, I remember the response was like, yes, I am. Uh, and I, some parts of the conversation were quite foggy in my memory because it was a long, long time ago. But I remember the end result of what 
had transpired. My dad had constructed the walls of the latrine before digging the hole, and maybe five or six times, little Hamish would come back and say, Mr. Chinpoy, what are you doing? I'm still digging a hole. How deep is it? All the way to China. No, you're not. Yes, I am. But my dad, unbeknownst to anyone else, had taken a change of clothes into uh, the enclosed latrine and uh, a a full-face mask. So the final time that little Hamish came back and said, Mr. Chinpoy, are you really digging to China? And I, my dad had said something along the lines, yeah, I'm going to meet up with my cousin, Mr. Wong. I don't know if it was Mr. Wong, but anyway, I, I, re- I remember the final time Hamish comes over to the, to the wee tent and says, Mr. Chinpoy, because we always used to call adults Mr. or Mrs. Remember anyone grew up doing that? Yeah, yeah. Now we call them by their first name. I don't know what's changed. But anyway, uh, Hamish is standing, Mr. Chinpoy, have you, have you dug all the way to China? There was no response. So, Mr. Chinpoy, have you dug all the way to China? Then this voice that is different than my dad's says, I am Mr. Wong. <laughs> I'm Mr. Chinpoy's cousin. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is happening? And then out of the tent appears my dad in a completely different set of clothes. He had overalls on and a full face mask. And I remember, this is the picture that I remember vividly, him extending his hand and introducing himself, says, hello, Hamish, I'm Mr. Wong. Hamish, who may have been all of four years old at this time, and then his response was to let out this blood-curdling scream. And he ran in the opposite direction across the campsite and I don't know what my dad was thinking, but he started to chase him. Hamish, Hamish, it's okay. It's just me. It's just, it's just Mr. Chin Boy. But he's got this horrible face mask on. It took about three days for little Hamish to come right after that and come and visit us in our tent. <laughs> Hamish now has some problems. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not true. Um, but... But I just remember that it was digging the hole was always seemed like the most difficult task in regards to putting the camp together. And, and, and we understand that now that I've grown up a bit and I've dug many, many holes in my life, uh, some of them with my words, which are the hardest ones to escape from, by the way. Uh, but, you know, it, it depends on what type of soil you're digging in as to how hard it is to dig the hole or maybe how many holes we have to dig as to how much effort that we have to put in. We understand if we're digging a whole row of post holes that there's a fair bit of labor involved in that. And, 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 the, and the problem with post holes is that the deeper you go, the less dirt you can get out, unless you've got the specialized shovels, which, well, no, you know, I'm not going to go and buy a special shovel. I'm just going to, kids, you can reach deeper, right? Like, <laughs> get your hands in there. Well, But especially, I don't know, when you're putting in the effort to dig a hole and it's a hot day and you're sweating and you're getting tired, I think sometimes it's, the, the I don't know, it's, it's like the water that we work for that tastes the sweetest, right? It's, it's like the reward that we have for the labor, for the exertion that we've put in. Um, if we turn this morning to Genesis in chapter 26, it's the beginning of this story where uh, Isaac is uh, 
now living in, in, in the land. And it says in verse 1 that now there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in the land. Now, there's an amazing passage of Scripture where God is reconfirming to Isaac the promise that he'd already made to his father Abraham. That, come on, I'm going I'm to turn you into a great nation. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. Ah, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations on the face of the earth. That's a, that's a big deal, right? But in the midst of that, he's saying, Isaac, I, even though there's a famine here, even though there's something happening here that is uncomfortable to live in or maybe to live through, although there's limited resource around, I want you to stay in the land. I want you to stay in the land and I will be with you and I will bless you. In fact, the other instruction he gives him is not only stay in the land, but, but don't go down to Egypt. Specifically, don't, don't go down to Egypt. I know there's a famine here and it might look like there's better resources available over there, but, but don't go down there. You know, we understand that, uh, I, I guess, in, often in the biblical context that Egypt is a reference to the things of the world. God's saying that even in this season, Isaac, where you're living in, in a place of famine, don't be tempted to go back down to Egypt. Don't be tempted to go and fill up on the things of the world because they're never going to truly satisfy you. There, there's, there's a resource, there's, there's, there's a flow that's available here. And if you just stay in the land, if you remain faithful to the promise that, that, that God's given you, you're going to be able to tap back into that flow. You know, I think sometimes the mistake that we can make is that because the blessing that God's spoken to us about is not immediately evident or is not immediately available, we start to think, oh, maybe God's not in this, right? Like maybe we need to look for a different way of fulfilling the promise that he's given us. Maybe we need to look for a, for a, for a different area of resource to, to satisfy the, 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 the urge or the need or the desire that we've got. But Because God mustn't be in it anymore. It's not immediately happening. But if the first thing that we do when we face opposition is to move on, is to go in a different direction, then we might actually be missing out on the deeper thing that God wants us to discover. So God's instruction, his encouragement to Isaac is to come on, stay in the land. I know that there's a famine happening. Stay in the land. Do not go down and fill up on the things in Egypt despite the famine. Because you know, God might be trying to bring through you or I. He might be trying to bring through us a blessing that's big enough to benefit everybody living in the area of famine. Just because it looks hard and feels difficult doesn't mean that God hasn't strategically positioned us to be the ones who eventually will bring some kind of breakthrough, will tap into some kind of resource, will be the ones who dig a little bit deeper and connect again with a flow that has, has, has never dried up, has never run dry. It's just been some stuff that's built up on top of it that's made us feel a little bit disconnected. So 
the, the story continues on, and then if you continue to read through the text, Isaac does this weird thing where he says of his wife, Rebecca, uh, look, I've got this great plan because you're so beautiful and I'm afraid that people might beat me up because you're my wife and try and take you from me. Let's tell everybody that you're my sister. And then one day as uh, he's sitting outside caressing his sister, which is, oh, don't you that, that's not cool. And King Abimelech looks out the window and goes, oh, Isaac's kissing his sister. But what the heck is going on here? This is, this is terrible. And then he clicks, he goes, oh, he's lied to us. It's not his sister, it's his wife. And he calls them up and he kind of tells them off and says, look, what is it that you've done to us? Any one of my men could have tried to sleep with your wife, who you said was your sister, and you would have brought guilt and you would have brought shame upon us. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass a decree that anyone who harms this man or his wife will be put to death. Did anyone else find that odd? Not only that Isaac would do that, but King Abimelech's response to being deceived, is, whoa, hey, look, that's not cool what you did. You brought, you brought guilt upon us. So what I'm going to do in response is if anyone harms you, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, it just speaks to the fact that Isaac was no ordinary citizen in this land. He was a man of great substance, of great influence. He was a man of great power. He was, he was a man who others looked up to. In fact, later on it says that he, he, the, the, the Philistines became so jealous and so envious of him that they send him away because of his abundance of resource. He's, the king wouldn't pass a law to be put to death. Like, wow. I don't know. That's just kind of a big deal. In verse 12, if we pick the story up again, it says that Isaac planted crops in the land in the land and the place where the famine was happening. It says, Isaac planted crops in the land, and that same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man, speaking obviously of Isaac, became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. In verse 18, it says that Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names that his father had given them. So Isaac, in a year, in a time, in a season of famine, planted seeds in the ground and reaped a hundredfold harvest. When the Philistines came because of their envy and their jealousy and their hatred of him, really, and stopped up the wells, tried to stop up the, 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 the place of resource and the place of supply, the, the things that he needed to manage and look after this I don't know, enormous herd that he had and, and, and resource his, his lifestyle, he was blessed. You know, I think that oftentimes God's resources can come from unexpected areas. It's not simply reliant on what we can or can't see naturally. So Isaac, in the story, starts redigging the wells of his father because he knows that there's a resource or a flow available to him that he can tap into. Even though it can't be seen anymore, 
It doesn't change the fact that just because dirt's been chucked in the well doesn't mean the water has stopped flowing. It just means access has been restricted, right? So we've got to do something about tapping back into the flow. It's important to remember that the flow has never stopped, that the resource is always available, that sometimes there's a whole bunch of stuff that's built up that simply restricts the flow or our, our access to it. that whole deal that digging is not always easy. Dependent on the type of ground that we're digging in or trying to dig through, maybe sometimes because of what the enemies tried to fill the hole in with. And it gets when it gets hard, sometimes we simply stop digging, right? Because I, I know, like, who ever wants to be stuck in a hole, right? Like, ugh, gross. But we understand, right, that most gold mines are just large holes in the ground. Someone's identified something of value that they've continued to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig until they've been able to harvest the resource, until they've been able to tap into the supply, until they've found that thing of worth and stayed connected, stayed in contact with it. You know, I, the reason I say this is uh, I think that we need to redig the wells that have somehow been stopped up, maybe by the enemy, maybe by ourselves, our own decisions, because we know that our supply is in God. You know, I, I think mostly around this time of year when we start thinking about the new year and, and stepping into a new season, which is, uh, which is true in a, in, a, in a natural sense. Like Obviously, there's a new year and it's a new beginning and we get excited about that and we think, you know what, I'm going to do something different in the new year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a decision to bring change or transformation or do something that's beneficial in the new year, right? Like who thinks, like we call them New Year's resolutions or whatever we want to call them. We make decisions about going into a new season based on what's going to happen when we, when we get there. Oh, it, that makes sense, right? Like I, I'm happily preaching to myself. But it's nice to know if, if we're on the same page. And because the reason I say this, we've, we've been hearing over the last few weeks here as a house, as, as, as a church, that we're coming into a season of change. And it's not just that it's a new year. It's not, we're not just saying that because, you know, oh, Christmas is coming and the new year is about to roll around. But no, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's aligning with that reality where uh, it's exciting to know that our building uh, out the front there is now filled with a, the Red Cross have taken, um, what do you call it? Yes, the ground floor. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, in fact, I think they're open after the service if you want to pop over and say hi. That'd be really cool. Uh, we've got the English language school moving into half of upstairs. The other half of upstairs, we've had confirmed that Equippers uh, Church here in Christchurch is going to move in there to host their offices and their administration blocks. So that speaks of partnership. And I'm just really excited about that. So actually, the whole building is full. In fact, we've had offers come in after the fact that it's already been full that they want to put in a monetary written offer. We've had to say, ah, oh, actually, no, you're too late. It's a resource for us as a church. The cool thing about that stepping into a new season is that it not only creates a resource for us as a church, but it actually frees up a whole bunch of my time. It's been like a three-year project to get it to this point. I'm excited about stepping into a new year and a new season 
with a, with a fresh focus on other things that God's calling us to do. So there's a whole bunch of stuff like that that's lining up. But we often say, well, I'm going to wait until the new year until I do the new thing. I think that it's much better to do the work now, to put the, to, to put the labor in now, to prepare now, before we get to the new season, right? It's, it's like, if you think of it in sporting terms, professional athletes will do preseason training so that they don't turn up on the, on the, on the first day of, of footy practice and they've got a beer gut and they're sweating just by getting out of the car. Oh, I've had too many pies. Coach, I've had too many pies. I've drunk too much beer. I, I apologize. I'm still a good player on the inside, but outside, uh, uh, it's going to take a bit of work, right? Well, well be smart. Do that work before you get into the new season. Like, like dig the well now. Get on the front foot. It, it, it's, get, some, get some skin in the game before you have to get on the field, right? Like, that just makes a whole bunch of sense. And so this whole deal of uh, digging the wells now, I, I think is important. Um, we want to do that in preparation for the season that he's bringing us into. So in Genesis uh, 26 and verse 19, it says again, that Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. So Isaac's servants come, and they start to redig the wells. In the first place that they dig, it says that they discovered a well of fresh water. And interestingly, if you look into the literal meaning of the word there for fresh water, it actually means that Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of water that was alive, or a well of living water, which is great, right? Like, like isn't that what Jesus talks about in the New Testament? Come on, out of your innermost being will flow waters of living water. So there's this context now that it's not just, come on, we're not just trying to dig a well over there. We're not just trying to tap into a resource over here. It's something that's already within us. The flow that never ceases, the resource that never dries up, that never goes away. Sometimes it feels like it might get gunked up a wee bit, but it doesn't stop being there. It's not something that we're looking for elsewhere. It's not something that we're trying to discover on a treasure map. It's something that's already available in us because of our relationship with Jesus. These rivers of living water will flow out of our innermost being. But to reconnect with this flow of living water, they, in the story, they had to dig through some stuff. We understand that the, 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 the words have meaning, right? Where he says, Esek, it actually, they call the well Esek, it actually means contention or to quarrel or to strive or dispute. They had to dig through some dispute to get to the flow. The well that they called Sitna means hostility or opposition or enmity or hatred. They had to dig through. They had to deal with all of that stuff before they could get to the flow of the water, before they could tap into the resource that God had for them. You know, every now and then, we find that we have to do that, dig through some stuff. And for us, that might not be exactly contention, quarrel, strife, dispute, hostility, opposition, enmity, or hatred. 
But it's an endless list of stuff that we'll have to dig through in life. For us, it could be, well, we have to dig the hurt out of the way. We have to dig out the bitterness. We have to dig out the disappointment or the anger or the shame or the discontent. We have to dig out the guilt. We have to dig out the insecurity or the unbelief. You can put whatever you want on this list. It's all stuff that we need to dig through from time to time. It's called digging out the dirt. Can you dig it? Yes, we can. But every now and then, in the midst of that, you might hit a rock. I don't know. Just I wish every hole was easy to dig, but it's not. Especially in Fiji, where a foot below the surface, you hit the bedrock, and instead of digging a hole, you're just chipping away like, I don't know, you're working on a chain gang or something. It's, 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 it's horrendous. But you just keep making progress. You know, when we hit the hard places, when we hit the rocks, it, it, it's, for me, I kind of think, well, you know, because all that other stuff we dig through, well, we just learn to deal with it. We learn to dig it out of the way. But when we hit rocks, those are like the mindsets or the attitudes or the hardness of heart in our own lives. And I think sometimes those are the, the things that are hardest to deal with. But what I love is that God will always take us on a journey where we will have to deal with and overcome some of those things so that they don't continue to stem or block the flow. Or at the worst case scenario, start to poison the water. And this can often be the most challenging part because because we think this, you know, well, it's got a bit tough, right? It's a bit hard. I don't want to have to deal with that. So I'm going to go and dig somewhere else. I'm going to go and tap into another flow, another resource that's easier to get into. Well, I kind of discovered this in life. That as believers, in our relationships, particularly in our relationship with God, we're not just looking for what can be found on the surface. We're not looking for shallow relationships, right? I, I, I don't know, someone once said this, that it's chickens that are satisfied with scratching on the surface. Well, great. Oh, I'm not a chicken. Right? Like eating worms, scratching up the bugs. It's not very satisfactory. I haven't really tried it, but I don't think it would be very good. We're not created for shallow. We're not created to be satisfied simply by what can be found on the surface. We're, we're, we're called to dig a little bit deeper. And so, to, to, you know, that whole deal of going beyond shallow. And that's why I think that it's a good idea. And, and, and I'm going to speak to a couple of things now that, I mean, maybe if you... They, I don't know, if you identify with these things, we're going to open up the altar at the end of the service. But I, I really feel like God's calling us to redig the, the, the wells of praise and the wells of prayer, not just, not, and not even just corporately, but for us individually. So I say, when was the last time you spent time with God and just worshiped your face off? Which is really just a, a funny way of saying, come on, God, I just... I, I, I'm creating this space and this room in my world where I want nothing more than to seek your face. I don't care if I can remember the words of the songs that I'm singing or not, but I just choose to spend this time with you for no other reason than to pour out my love toward you and to receive your love toward me. When was the last time you, 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 you went out into your room like Scripture encourages us and, and, and shut the door when you prayed, closed out all distractions and, and said, God, I'm, come on, I'm, I'm, I'm chucking away this shopping list of prayers, I'm coming without an agenda, 
I'm just coming to declare my love for you. I'm just coming to, to, to allow you to speak powerfully and prophetically into my world. God, I'm just coming to, to, to say, uh, there's no place that I would rather be. Redigging the wells, right? Redigging the wells of salvation. I, I feel like this is something for us corporately that God's calling us to do in regards to where city is to redig the wells of salvation. And not that he's not seeing people saved around the place all the time. But, but, but it's a, there's a partnership here for us. Remember again, right, the, the, the first time that we came into contact, that, that, that salvation experience, the, the, the passion, the enthusiasm, the exuberance that we had in our relationship with God. We, we didn't understand everything that was happening. Like, what, what is that guy say? I remember uh, someone in our church when I, when I was first there, and the preaching was often about what Paul had said. And we had a, a guy called Paul who was overseeing a seniors ministry. And like every time Paul was quoted out of the Bible, this person about three months later goes, finally came out and said, look, I'm really confused. How come you're the senior pastor? Not me, the senior pastor. The senior pastor. And, but everyone's quoting Paul. <laughs> what do you mean everyone's quoting Paul? Like, you mean Paul? No, Paul on the front row, right? Like, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. You know, in this regard, I'm digging a little bit deeper. You know, I often try and think of you know, people in our world that we've seen do this kind of thing before. And for me, I'll often just go back to the, you know, the stories in the Bible, and I can't help when I think of these kind of things to, you know, I think of the story of Jacob who wrestled with an angel, right? He had this opportunity. He knew that there was a blessing there for him, but he wasn't going to get it unless he went toe-to-toe with the angel of the Lord. That doesn't seem like a smart decision for anybody to do. I agree. (laughs) It's the best response yet. But Jacob, because I might not have any hope of winning the fight. I might not have the ability to overcome the angel. But one thing I am going to do is I'm going to hold on with everything that I've got. I'm not going to let go, actually, until you bless me. You might be able to beat me down. You might be able to hope. You might be able to push my face into the mud. But I am not going to let go until you bless me. I think of David when he, when he brought the ark back into the city of Jerusalem. When he, when he came dancing with all of his might into the city. Stripping off all of his outer garments. To the, to, the, to, the, to the scorn or the shame of the people that were supposed to be closest to him. And his response is, well, I would be even more undignified than this. That's what it sounds like to dig a little bit deeper sometimes. I think of the great story that we heard last week when Pastor Andre was with us. And he, and he talked about Peter stepping out of the boat in the midst of a stormy sea. They'd seen Jesus walking across the waters. See, I'm not willing, Jesus, to see you do something that I'm invited into and not experience it for myself. If that's you, call me out upon the waters. That's what digging a little bit deeper looks like, like getting out of the boat. uh, It's stormy. 
I feel seasick. The waves are beating upon the boat. The wind is howling. This is the most secure place that I know. But yet, Jesus, if you're out there, would you call me out upon the waters also? Because that's what digging a little bit deeper looks like. I'm willing to do the impossible. So I think of the story of blind Bartimaeus. I remember, remember what he does? He, he's obviously heard whatever it is that's been called that Jesus has been doing. That people are being healed and set free and delivered from whatever it is that's been tormenting them. And he's blind. He's a beggar. He knows that he's positioned himself in a place where Jesus is coming. Because he can hear by the crowds, the people amassing. He goes, man, his, imminent, his, his approach is imminent. He must be close. I, I don't know where he is. I don't know how far away he is because I can't see. But I want him to hear what I've got to say. And he says, Jesus, son of David, don't pass me by. I've got a need. I've got, I've, I've got something that you can help me with. And all the people say, Shh, Bartimaeus, shut your mouth. Bartimaeus, you're making a fool of yourself. No one wants to hear from you. Be quiet. He doesn't want to know about your problems. And it says that he just yelled out even louder, Jesus, son of David, don't pass me by. And it arrested the attention of the Son of God in the face of social condemnation, and in, 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 in the space where he was doing something against what the crowd said was good. That's what it looks like to dig a little bit deeper. I think, again, of the story of the woman with the issue of blood. I'm going to get the musos to come on up this morning. Who for 12 years had had this thing that couldn't be cured. She was a social reject. People weren't allowed to, or she wasn't allowed to be around other people because it made them unclean. And in the moment where Jesus again is coming and he's crowded and being jostled by people, and he says to his disciples in, 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 this, in this intense moment of activity, who touched me? They're like, well, everybody is touching you, Jesus. Like, we, I don't know how, I don't know how to figure this out. We don't have facial recognition technology, but I would estimate maybe 187 people have touched you in the last 150 meters. Which, which one of them do you mean? Right? Because no, someone touched me because power has gone out from me. And he turns and he sees the, the, the woman with the issue of blood who's confessing what she's done. I'm so sorry. I apologize that I've made everybody else that I've touched unclean. But I've spent 12 years looking for a cure, looking for something to fix this thing that is wrong with me. I've spent everything that I've got. All of my finances have gone into this. All of my energy has gone into trying to find a solution, a cure for this problem that I've got. But I haven't been able to. And in desperation, because that's what digging a little bit deeper can look like. I've crawled through the dust. I've, 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 I've been stood on. I've been kicked. I've been ridiculed. But I've touched the hem of your garment and I've been made well. You know, all of these kind of people and so many more through, through, throughout the Scripture. 
had to dig through some stuff to get to the flow that they needed. They wrestled against impossible odds. They stepped outside of societal norms and social protocols. They had overcome doubt and walked by faith. They, they weren't willing to settle for simply what was on the surface, but they decided that they wanted to dig a little bit deeper, no matter what else, anyone else's opinion was. to connect with that which was available in God or in Christ. But the beautiful thing for us is that now it's not just Christ out there. It's Christ in here. It's Christ in you who is the hope of glory. It's Christ in us who's caused these, these, this, this wellspring of living water to, to, to oh, gosh out of our innermost being. I think as we work towards stepping into the new season in 2020, some people might say it's the year of perfect vision. That would be awesome. <laughs> might see everyone with eye conditions healed. That would be amazing. Well, maybe there's an area of your world where you feel like God's been calling you to just to dig a little bit deeper. We dig again the, 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 the wells of praise and the wells of prayer in your world. So you know what, God, I, I know I've just been scratching the surface in these areas. And I'm not talking about doing works, right? I'm actually talking about responding to a passionate invitation from the king of the universe to come and enjoy relationship and fellowship with him. I could care less if you read your Bible between 4 a.m. and 8 a.m. every single morning if it's, if it's just a, a clockwork kind of thing, if it's just a religious practice. But if you're responding to his invitation to go, you know what, God, I do want to dig a little bit deeper. I want your word to come alive to me as I read it. I don't want just a, 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 I know, a shallow relationship or a surface Christianity. I want to dig a little bit deeper. I want, to, I want to do some stuff now that sets me up for the new season so that when it comes along, I'm not trying to catch up with everybody else who's already started, but I'm going to hit the ground running. I'm, I'm going to be already tapped into that flow and that resource and that supply that comes from the heavenly realm. And it's going to be so good in my life. If that's you here this morning, I'm going to invite you down in just a moment to come and join me on the altar. I, I, I just feel like there's an impartation in this sense. There's, there's, there's something that God just, I don't know, supernaturally wants to establish in your world as you partner with him in that way. But maybe in regards to opening up the wells of salvation, it would be awful of us not to give an opportunity to respond, to invite Jesus into your world. And again, as I look around, I know so many familiar faces, which is, I love that we all gather together. But if you are here this morning, maybe for the first time, or, or maybe you've You've fallen out of, away from uh, Jesus. I want to give an opportunity this morning simply for you to invite him into your world. And I just wonder as we close, if we could just bow our heads for a moment together. And if you're here this morning and you'd love to invite Jesus into your, into your life, if you want to know what it is to, to feel completely forgiven and set free from anything you've ever done wrong and, and be in relationship with Jesus who, who, who loves you so, so much. I wonder if you'd just respond by lifting your hand so that I would know that, that, that you'd like me to pray with you this morning. If you want to invite Jesus into your world, 
and say, man, I want to know what it's like to be in relationship with the king of the universe because he loves me so much. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, as we close this morning, I'm going to hand back to the news in just a moment. But one of you here, and something of this has resonated with you. I want you to respond this morning by coming on down to the front. And just, and it's your confession with God. Maybe we'll pray for you, maybe we won't. But I just feel like there's a deposit that He wants to pour out this morning. There's something that He wants to do to help you tap into the flow. Man, I, I've tried digging that hole before, God. I've tried reconnecting. I've tried digging that well. But there's a few rocks in the way. I just don't feel like the shovel that I'm digging was good enough. Well, come on. He, 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 he's got a new set of tools for you this morning that's going to make it a whole lot easier. In Jesus' name. Here we go.